You're tuned in to the Headmasters Podcast, and this is John DePoe, Headmaster at Kingdom Preparatory Academy in Lubbock, Texas, coming to you live from the Headmasters office, and we have a great episode for you today. We're going to be talking with Katie Beth Goodnight, our fourth grade teacher, as well as a Friday enrichment teacher, and she has a lot of uh, great things to share about fourth grade and her experience at the school. Before we jump into that interview, um, I want to do a few quick uh, announcements. So on November 14th, we will have our Harmonize for Hunger concert, where you'll see our Warrior Praise Choir, our Kingdom Singers, uh, Lubbock Christian University's best friends will be there. It's a really great opportunity to hear some wonderful music and a time of worship. Please come and plan to be here for that. On the 15th of November, we will have our Thanksgiving feast on our campus for the grammar school. So if you need to order that and make your preparations, um, maybe by the time you're hearing this, it might be too late, but make sure that you have those plans in place. And then we have our Thanksgiving break, uh, the week of uh, November 20th through the 24th. And right when we get back from that break, um, on Monday... November 27th, we will have our School of Logic Theater program. So you want to plan for that and make sure um, that doesn't sneak up on you so that you can catch that great production. All right, guys, let's jump in to uh, Katie Beth Goodnight as she shares about the fourth grade experience. To kick this off, why don't I let you introduce yourself to our listeners? Well, I'm Katie Beth Goodnight. I um, have been at KPA. This is my fourth year, um, and I absolutely love it. I was teaching in public education for five years before that, so this is my ninth year in education. And um, I am married to Adam. We've been married for nine years as well. And then we have two little ones. We have four-year-old Owen and 19-month-old Wyatt. Yes. And how did you find out about KPA? I actually found out from Susanna Lahari. She and I taught together uh, at Roscoe Wilson before, and she left the year before I left. But um, I had just had Owen and was looking for something a little bit different, and I had seen that she was at KPA and asked her, what is that place all about? Because that sounds right up my alley and like exactly what I'm looking for. And so she shared that information with me, and then I reached out, and the rest is history. Yeah. Well... Having come to KPA and now been here for a few years, and I can say, by the way, that I've had two of my kids go through your class, which has been a wonderful experience, and I've got one more on his way up. <laughs> um, tell me, uh, what, do you, what, what stands out to you? What do you love about KPA? How has this been different for you on the teacher side? It's been quite different um, in a really good way. So uh, when I first learned about KPA, three things stood out, classical Christian university model style school. Um, And all three of those have been game changers, in my opinion. So classical, teaching, uh, using kind of a different approach. It doesn't necessarily change the content that's been teaching, but it changes how we teach it. And so more memorization through songs and through chants, um, different learning style in the instruction. And that's been really cool, and it makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, Christian, that's uh, absolutely the lens that all things should be taught through. And so it's, you know, before when I was teaching in the public sector, I had to be really careful about what I said and how Mm -hmm. I said it. And even though I still felt like that was my ministry, it was hard to not just be forthright and come Mm -hmm. out and say things that I wanted to say. And I don't have to be careful 
like mm-hmm. that here. And so that's been amazing to be, to in math, have conversations about Jesus come up and being like, yes, let's go with yeah. this. And it's <laughs> super cool. And the connections that they're making in English and history and and what they're learning in Sunday school is just, it's super cool to have the, all of those pieces fit together and not have to take one of those things out. And then the university model, uh, it benefits me as a teacher and the students uh, with their parents. Mm -hmm. I like it because I have time at home with my children that I get to pour Mm -hmm. into them in these early years. And then the students are working one-on-one with their parents. And so the parents know exactly what's going on in their students' Mm -hmm. learning and exactly where their students are struggling. And that's been really, really cool to have that a co-parent or co-teacher aspect in the parents mm-hmm. that when I say something like, hey, I've noticed this, they're like, yes, I've noticed that same thing as well. And we can we can address those things a lot easier. I've noticed and when I talk to a lot of public school teachers that there's a sense, at least among many of them, probably not all of them, that, that parents almost get in the way of what they're trying to do at school mm-hmm. and that the parents are often a nuisance and a problem. But uh, at our school, my sense is that the parents are very helpful. They want their kids to succeed in school, that if there's behavior problems, that they want to correct those and they work alongside us. And so it creates a very different learning environment to have not just work that they do at home, but to have a cooperative parent who wants their child to uh, succeed academically and grow in their, their walk with the Lord as well. Yeah, in the mainstream education setting, it's kind of parents are expected to send the child to school. The school is the expert, and they will take care of it, and then the school will send the child back home. And those two are not connected. But the more I've learned about classical education and the more I've learned about the university model style is that parents are integral in that. It's so important to have parent involvement. And so what I might have called a helicopter parent before, naively, that's exactly what we need from mm-hmm. parents because they, God has given parents those children. And parents need to be actively involved in the education of academics and spiritually in all those ways and kpa combines them seamlessly Mm -hmm. um when i think about um when i think about fourth grade what are some of the things that stand out about uh the projects the topics we cover the books we read what would be some of the highlights for fourth grade that for those who've never had fourth grade or are thinking about fourth grade at kpa what would be some of the things that you would point out Okay, fourth graders are my people. They Mm -hmm. are my favorite. I love teaching fourth grade. I think that it is such a fun age. And at KPA, some of the milestones that we have are, first of all, independence and responsibility. So Mm -hmm. this is a year where they are actively seeking that. And so we are giving it to them in a safe and um, expected way. So they're taking on more responsibility for their learning in their homework. They are Uh, taking ownership for not putting their names on their paper and not expecting mom or dad to do it for them. They're taking ownership of their suitcase and all of Mm -hmm. the things that are going in it. So when I tell people about what's fourth grade all about, it's those two things are huge for me Mm -hmm. that we are teaching them independence and responsibility. Those are two big milestones. 
some of the projects that we get to do. So we do the insect project yes. in our second chapter when we are learning about uh, the difference between insects and arachnids. And a lot of students are really bummed that they don't get to put spiders on their yes. project. but <laughs> Or scorpions. Or scorpions <laughs> or the vinegaroons that they yes. find out in the country. And those are really cool. But <laughs> So we uh, find 10 insects and we learn all about them and their characteristics and we display them and then we bring them and we have insects everywhere and it's kind of <laughs> yes. took a little bit for me to get used to it but it's a really um, anticipated project that starting in second grade I hear them talking about oh when I'm in fourth grade I'm gonna mm-hmm. find this something else we do we real, real fast oh, on yes. the insects a, a pro parent tip here <laughs> is over the summer before fourth grade you can collect bugs and keep them in your freezer. Yes. Just make sure you label them so they don't end up, you know, in your leftovers or yeah. something like that. But um, that's something that that I discovered um, going through fourth grade that was really helpful. Because over the summer, for some reason, we have a tendency to find the bugs. Yeah. Um, and then as we get into the school year, sometimes it's not as easy to go bug hunting. So. Right, right. Some bugs are very active in June, and those are some of the coolest ones. So mm-hmm. you find them even starting in second and third grade. <laughs> if you find something, keep it in your freezer. Yes. It'll keep. Um, in English, we read Madeline Takes Command, which is a French perspective of colonial times in um, America. And then we do a seigneurie project with that. So they build a seigneurie, which is basically a French fort. Mm-hmm. And so they learn about palisades, what is a stockade, the bastions, and where all of those things would have been located and how they would have been used to defend mm-hmm. the French against the Native Americans. And so they build a seigneurie, and then they also get to participate in Colonial Day because Mm. we spend a lot of time talking about the 13 American colonies. And so we dress up in our colonial attire, and we have different activities and stations that we do that focus on the schooling of a colonial child, the entertainment, and the chores. And so we get to do things like candle making and churning butter, and we learn how to write with a quill and ink, and they very quickly realize pens are <laughs> a very nice invention. Um, and then we get to do things like making, um, they're called whirly gigs, and they take a little bit of coordination to figure out. But it's always exciting whenever they get it. And then making corn husk dolls. Mm-hmm. So that's Colonial Day. I remember um, my daughter Lydia really got into the whirly gig thing. Like, uh, <laughs> we might even still have a whirly gig around our house that if she found it would start you know, making it go. So I cracked up because uh, so we had Colonial Day on a Wednesday and then on a Thursday I had a parent teacher conference and that child was in the hallway with the whirly gig playing yeah. <laughs> with the whirly gig while I was talking with the parent. So it was funny that they spent all that time Wednesday evening figuring it out so that they could keep playing with it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I, I love on Colonial Day um, just seeing that the parents get to lend a hand. It's just another place where we get the, the parents working as our co-teachers, serving alongside, um, wanting to come up and just help out. And once again, kind of show the students how to do all these things because you can't be in like five locations at one time. Right, right. So we have six different stations. And this year we had eight parents that were helping and they, they, I give them the information that I'd like them to cover and how to do it. And then they, they have at it and they do a great job with yeah. it. It's really cool. Very cool. What, what else, um, or anything else you want to talk about for fourth grade milestones? Yeah. Or, yeah. So in fourth grade, we, so in history, we are talking about the early modern time period. So starting with 
um, explorers like Christopher Columbus all the way through the Civil War. And in that, we learn about the Texas Revolution. Yes. And so that's one of my favorite things to teach. It's mm-hmm. super fun. But we get to take a field trip to San Antonio and see the Alamo. Yeah. And uh, so we leave on a Friday. And when we get there, we watch a um, video at a movie theater that kind of tells the story of the Battle of the Alamo. And then we um, have a pool party, which is not academic but very fun (laughs) and then um on saturday morning we go and we visit the alamo and we walk through we talk about we make connections with everything that we have learned they have a really cool exhibit um of all the artifacts from Mm -hmm. the alamo that um, have been donated and that, that, that they have found there and so we have um just a lot of really good time to make connections to okay we talked about this cat's eye ring that william travis had and look here it is and so it's really cool to have them make those connections and the excitement that they have as they're there learning about it and knowing, I I know what happened mm-hmm. here. That's amazing. And then, um, and then we head home. So it's a yeah. quick trip, but it's super powerful and one that they start talking about from the minute they enter my classroom in August saying, when are we doing yes. that? So it's really neat. When, when I've been on the Alamo trip, I know that um, the Alamo... Uh, usually has people out there doing some living history, showing them how to load a musket or how uh, various uh, date, what what the soldiers wore and uh, what the women did, various things like that, which is really cool for them to get a little bit of hands-on learning, even at the the Alamo itself. Yeah, it is really neat. And there's always people standing around that have super interesting tidbits of knowledge about how the Alamo was used after the Texas Revolution and when it was being renovated to make it into... Um, the memorial that it is. So it's really neat to have all of those pieces together. And, and one other mi- minor part of this, although it's really, really cool, is there are some statues that are in the courtyard of the Alamo. And one of them is by Glenda Goodacre. It's the one that uh, I believe of uh, Colonel Travis. So, um, And it's really, once again, her style. And it's just another little Lubbock artistic mm-hmm. connection that's really neat there. Mm-hmm. Students don't always appreciate that yes. one as much, <laughs> but the parents do. And the parents are able to say, oh, wow, that's neat. Which parents do come with us on that um, field trip as well. And so as we're going through the Alamo, the parents are right next to their students. And they're hearing their students make those connections. And I've had so many parents come up to me and say, okay, this was really cool because we had a glimpse of what you guys were learning in the classroom. But to be able to see our fourth grader making those connections in person, that is super powerful for parents as well. And I know it's a memorable event. I mean, once again, my kids who've gone on the trip uh, still talk about it, still remember, you know, those things, which is why we go and go places because it really cements that in their memories and makes a bigger impact than just talking about it in the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, was there more you want to talk about fourth grade? I know I also want to ask you a little, little bit about Friday enrichment, too, because you're you're doing some interesting things and new things for us on Friday. Right. Well, the last thing about fourth grade, going back to kind of that independence and responsibility, another, in my mind, important part of fourth grade is um, this is a time when students really deepen their knowledge of God's Word. And mm-hmm. so we start every morning with a Bible journal verse. And I have kind of come to the conclusion over the years that in church, I mean, I don't take my physical Bible with me mm-hmm. to church very much anymore because it's on my phone. And I've come to the conclusion that a lot of families don't do that. And a lot of students, when they go to Bible class, they aren't 
opening up the mm-hmm. word. And so when I ask them to find a verse, oftentimes the first day of school, many of them can't. They don't quite know how to navigate the Bible. And so one of the most powerful things we do in fourth grade is we learn how to navigate the Bible. Yeah. We learn how to find verses, how to copy them. And then we always talk about them. And in talking about them, I lead students to discover we don't just read verses out of context. Reading them in context is really, Mm -hmm. really important to understand what it is actually saying. Because sometimes we read a verse and then we talk about it. And then I read them the chapter it came from and students go, oh, wait, that says something totally different from what I thought it said. (laughs) And then this year I'm doing something different in that we will... Taking that knowledge, we will see we don't just want to read chapters out of context either. We want to read the whole book in the Bible. So we will be mm-hmm. reading the whole book of Mark okay. throughout the second semester so that students will see the word is organized the way it is for a reason and that when we are interacting with it, we should be interacting with it in a certain way. And so really excited about the growth I've already seen in their knowledge. We also learned the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament through song. And mm-hmm. so we seeing those and as we learn them and the difference between John and first and second and third John always blows their mind. <laughs> so that's another exciting thing that yeah. I get to see them learn. That's terrific. And and once again, just one of these ways in which we can use uh, the content of the Bible to work on things like writing and work mm-hmm. on it with to, to just help, uh, you know, without it necessarily being this totally random add on, but we're using it as part of what we're trying to teach overall as well, just weaving it into what we do curricularly. Yeah, there are beautiful and powerful similes in the Bible. And so when we learn about similes as figurative language in English, we make that connection as well. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Friday enrichment. Um, so you have been, uh, I think since you started, you were doing our mad scientist for mm-hmm. grades uh, third through fifth, mm-hmm. and you're continuing to do that. Um, for families that don't know anything about what that is, the mad scientist, uh, tell us a little bit about the mad scientist Fridays. Well, it's hands-on experiments. Uh, so every Friday we do some sort of experiment, and kids have this very specific idea of what a scientist looks like in their head and they think of the crazy hair the lab coats (laughs) the explosion of chemicals that causes just the hair to blow back and so we get that sometimes (laughs) but I try to help them see that there's more to science than just chemistry Mm -hmm. which is what they're thinking and so we learn about different types of science through different hands-on experiments and I teach them the scientific method Mm -hmm. and we go through that process every Friday to solidify Mm -hmm. having a problem or a question that we start with, making a hypothesis, coming up with the materials and the procedure that we're going to do, doing it and then finding a conclusion and then what are some of our follow-up questions that could lead us to a new experiment, Yeah, which makes it just this cycle of learning. And so um, every Friday our process follows that with some sort of different question or problem um, and that's been really, really fun because it's it's science for just learning science and some of those kind of more popular ones that you might see on Pinterest or YouTube, we definitely do those in person because it's interesting that a lot of them have watched Jude Perfect do them <laughs> and then whenever they get to do it in person, they're like, ah, oh, that's yeah. amazing. It did the same thing. Or they say, well, on Jude Perfect, they did it like this, so can we try it like this? Mm-hmm. So I say, that's a great follow-up question. Let's finish this and then, yeah, we'll try yeah. it like this. So it's, it's interesting to see them make those connections. And then there's, of course, experiments we do that they've never seen before that they're like, wow, this is amazing. 
this last week we did dry ice. So we learned what makes dry ice dry. What is it made of? How is it made? And then what happens when it starts to melt? It doesn't melt into water. It melts into this gas that you can see. And we tried to capture it with bubbles. And so it was... They were fascinated, and it was fun. And one of them said, now that's a mad scientist. (laughs) So we get to do lots of really cool things. Yeah, um, my daughter came home asking if we could buy some dry ice (laughs) after last Friday. So You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's actually not an uncommon thing where they want to come home and replicate these at home because they just enjoy it so much because it's fun and it's hands-on. And that that tactile, sensory way of doing science just, uh, once again, is just real appealing for them. There have been many times when I've written on the board all the materials that we used and the ingredients we used and have kids copying it down and taking it home. Mm-hmm. And where do I buy Alka-Seltzer? What is that? Yes. So lots of that happens. Now, you started adding on this year Bible for us teaching, and that's second grade only currently. But uh, tell us about what are we doing in Bible? So that's a new class, and so it's been really fun to kind of develop it into something something really neat. Um, so I, I kind of modeled this Bible class to be something that I wish I had had as a, a young student because, mm-hmm. um, in my experience, a lot of Bible classes tend to be character development, which is necessary. It is needed, but we are missing out on so much of the meat of it. And so um, for this Bible class, we are reading from the Bible often in large chunks, and they are more than capable of handling that. Um, in, in older times, that's how they learned the Bible is by, uh, at the end of the day, sitting around the family fire or candle and having the father read them the Bible in large amounts. And so we're kind of going back to that, that they are getting large amounts of the text we stop and talk about it, and every time I look up from reading, their eyes are glued to me, and their faces are so excited, and so it's been really neat. The questions that they come up with are amazing <laughs> that you would not expect from a second grader, and sometimes it's like, wow, I don't know. What do you think? It's They are just they are hungry for this knowledge, and um, so we're bringing in the cultural and historical context so that they can understand these um, stories a little bit better. We learn that um, we, we try to see the clues about Jesus in the Old Testament and make those connections to, okay, look, God was giving a clue to what his plan was. And when Jesus did come and his disciples were te- teaching about Jesus, this is probably something mm-hmm. that they mentioned. And do we see how that connection could be made? Um, so it's more than just character development. We're really trying, I'm trying to give them a little taste of apologetics of mm-hmm. how do you defend your faith knowing that the fullness of these stories and that these stories truly happen and we know they happen because of this archaeological evidence and the mm-hmm. historical t- context of it. And you might think, wow, a second grader really doing that? But they are more than capable of it, and it's, they've been hungry for it, which has been so cool. I know that uh, a lot of times we read kind of children's Bible stories to them, or uh, they might just get kind of a moralistic dimension that where it's been really watered down. So, like, when students encounter the story of, like, Abraham's uh, call to sacrifice Isaac, that... You know, when you actually read the whole biblical text, there's a lot of detail they may have not heard before if they actually haven't read the Bible itself. Right. And so that's a, a really, and once again, what a great, I know that you've taught that one recently, and that, that was one also where there's these great connections with 
God foreshadowing what he's going to do with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you give students a chance to make those connections. We, we read that one twice through in class. And the first time was, it, I, they knew the story, but when I started reading it, it was evident they had heard the summary of it, not the actual text. Because there are parts that are a little like, whoa, what? Are you, are you sure? Like, yeah. And their eyes were, you could see in their eyes, like, Wow, that really happened. He he was holding the knife above him. What? And then we talked about it, and then we introduced that foreshadowing of Jesus. And I I read it again and had them listen to it, and their hands were popping up of, oh, I see that connection, and all these things. And so it was it was super cool. And so they heard that story twice through, both times for different purposes, but um, it was really powerful. Um. Anything else? I'm going to transition out of Friday. I, I, if, I know that I gave you some things to think about, but anything else you want to get in there before I get asked out of the Friday enrichment? No, Fridays yeah. are so fun. They are. Um, I just get to teach two of the many classes that they have throughout the day, and uh, all of those classes are so enriching, which is why it's called Friday yeah. enrichment. They are things that... Um, you wouldn't get in your normal Monday and Wednesday class, but then also that you wouldn't get in any other setting as well. And so um, I know Music with Mrs. Shepard is another yeah. <laughs> fan favorite. And so there's lots of things that they get to do that they just love. Well, let's uh, something I like to close with a lot of times is to ask teachers, if you were talking to somebody who was on the fence, they were thinking about bringing, let's say, a fourth grader to Kingdom Preparatory Academy, um, what might you, you tell a family that was on the fence that would help them decide? And it's not necessarily even to say yes, but what would be something that you would want to, to put before them to help them get clear about whether this is the right school for them? Well, I, I think it can also go back to when I talked about the things that I love about KPA as a teacher. Um, as Parents become co-teachers here. And so those same things that I love for myself as a classroom teacher I love for parents as co-teachers at home on school days. It's rigorous academics through a Christian worldview lens. And so I, you know, I taught fourth grade in other settings, and this is, it makes so much sense, the curriculum that we're using and the things that we are doing. I think specifically about Shirley Grammar. Mm. They know parts of speech. They can classify any sentence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's fascinating because... In previous settings, we struggled to understand the difference between a noun and a verb. But Mm -hmm. the way that it's being taught makes so much sense. So we're not just learning what's a noun and a verb, but what's a um, possessive pronoun adjective, not just an adjective. It's, it's It's so rigorous and it's so good, but they are more than capable of doing it. Um, and then, of course, through that Christian Christian worldview lens, um, I, I see this as parents investing in the academic and spiritual growth of their children and being actively involved in it, which is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity for parents, especially parents who maybe aren't wanting to have the full responsibility of homeschooling and deciding what curriculum to use and things like that, but still wanting to have that connection with their student in their learning. And something else I love about KPA is that we are learning how to learn. We're not just learning specific information, um, but we're teaching kids how to learn through learning specific information so that they later on in life can continue to be lifelong learners because they know how to learn. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I were talking about this recently, and he had said, I wish I had had an education like this because I feel like I would have been 10 steps ahead of where I was once I got to college and then on into 
his master's, he felt like had he known some of the things that I have just talked about in fourth grade um, and given glimpse of, of what they're doing in the upper grades, he said, I, I wish I had had this. And I am I'm so hopeful that our boys, God willing, can go through this K through 12 so that they can have that as well. Um, it just makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you were saying about the Shirley, you know, teaching in the upper school, you know, my wife teaches Latin, I'm teaching Greek. Uh, you know, we go back to these definitions of parts of speech and what these things are. And there's just like no hesitation. Like they, and sometimes they even still rattle off the Shirley jingles. Mm-hmm. If I say, if I do, so what is an adjective? And then they break out in song. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, those things really, really stick. So, and that's one of the beautiful things about classical education is that we're tapping into really an anthropology, an understanding of the human person that just makes sense. This is how we learn. And that's why the, the kinds of practices we do have been done for the past, you know, several thousand years is not just because everybody just said, let's just do it the way it's always been done. But people found, found out through trial and error, well, this is how human beings learn. Mm-hmm. This is how we're made. This is um, how you get a human being from point A to point B. So... Yeah, within the trivium, you have grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and grammar is that kind of foundational time of memorization, and I heard someone recently uh, compare a grammar school mind to a sponge. They are mm-hmm. just going, they are going to soak it up, whether you give them something to soak up or not, yeah. and so, like, my four-year-old um, now can tell me a lot about Pokemon, that yes. I'm like, how did you even learn like where did you hear this where did you learn this this is crazy that his little brain is capable of memorizing these weirdo facts (laughs) and so but it just has it solidified that his mind is a sponge and he is ready for um things and if i don't give him those those good and true and beautiful things to soak in he's going to find it elsewhere and so at kpa especially in the grammar school in fourth grade we are giving them those good true beautiful things to soak in that they are going to use later on in the school of logic school of rhetoric and then school of life (laughs) yeah well thank you for coming in and giving us a little bit of time and giving us some perspective on what's going on in fourth grade and looking forward to having you again for my up-and-coming fourth grader in a few years yes absolutely thank you very much all right that does it for the latest episode I appreciate you hanging in there and listening to this interview. Uh, Don't forget that we have our Harmonize for Hunger concert on November 14th, the Grammar School Thanksgiving Feast on November 15th. We take a Thanksgiving break from the 20th to the 24th of November, and then right when we get back, that School of Logic Theater program on November 27th. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're sharing this with any of your friends and uh, other people in our community who may be who may need to hear this. And I will catch you on the next episode.